Good evening, my name's Brogan and I'm one of the clergy here at St Thomas's. Well, it's that magical time of year again, isn't it? When the nation pauses and we have this shared moment of unity, Spotify wrapped. <laughs> Put your hands up if you're in the top 2%. Top 2% anyone, yeah? Anyone want to shout out what they're in the top 2% for? So who? One Republic, okay. It's not me sourcing these from the crowd. Anyone else? For king and country? Someone said Rihanna. Top 2% Rihanna, that is, that's good going. The winner of the Mercury Prize for Music this year, uh, a prize awarded to what their judges believe to be the, the best album of the year, uh, was won by a five-piece uh, sort of jazz, funk, hip-hop band collective called Ezra Collective. Um, now, I am no authority on music. My Spotify wrapped was almost exclusively Julia Donaldson's audiobooks trying to get my... 18-month-olds to sleep. Um, but this album is, it is extraordinary. It is beautiful. And I love it. And my poor colleagues in the office have had to endure far more of it than they would like. In two final musical tracks, um, it's an album, uh, on the album is 35-second clip of one recounting his experience after a show that they're just played. And I'd like to play it to you. It's just 35 seconds. It's called Words by TJ. And have a listen to what he says about music. But the, the maddest thing, the maddest thing happened after the show. I'm standing there and this, this lady comes out. And she's bawling. She's crying, 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 crying. I'm like, yo, everything all right type thing. And she gets her words out eventually. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I've had the worst week ever. She was literally like, I've had the most terrible, terrible week ever. But for one hour, I was able to forget all about it. And she was like, thank you. And she was saying thank you. And it was, at that moment, music changed for me. Because I realized this isn't just notes being put together. Like this is something with some serious power to change people in a serious way. And that's it. That, that's the whole track. What is it that, about music that can, that can do this? Maybe you had an experience of this in the carol that we're just uh, having performed for us just then. It's like being transported to a different place. And what is it about the experience of that woman that is so ubiquitous, so human, so universal, that we can all identify with it in some way? Who hasn't had a week like that, where we just long for a moment to forget all about it? Well, I want to suggest that we look in an unlikely place tonight for answers to those questions, that we look to an ancient collection of Hebrew poems handed down the generations which claim to reveal the fundamental purpose of humanity and speak with the very authority of the creator of heaven and earth. You might expect the Christmas story to begin in a stable, but it doesn't. It actually begins in a garden, as we've been hearing. First, this, God created the heavens and earth. All you see, all you don't see, earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. 
And they go on to tell of a man and a woman who live a life that is almost unimaginable to us because it's a life of perfect wholeness in the presence of God. Every part of their life fitted together just right. They never wanted to forget about anything for a moment, let alone an hour. It was a life which was rich in meaning, overflowing with colour, abounding in contentment, replete with peace. And this Hebrew poem says that that is what human life is meant to be like. A life that isn't broken into different parts and and lived apart from the presence of God, but rather whole, a life that's complete. I wonder if you've ever had a taste of something like it. That moment when you sink into a big comfy chair on Christmas afternoon and everything is quiet and everyone is content. That moment when you sip a coffee early on a summer's morning before the world has awoken and nothing, nothing rests heavy on your heart. A moment when you know that you don't have anything to hide from or run from or fear. It's a, it's a taste of wholeness. And this is what the first man and the first woman lived in all the time. And that is what the human heart is made for. We're not made for a world when the best case scenario is forgetting all about it. We're not made for a world when the best case scenario is trying to drift somewhere else for an hour. Rather, we're made for a world when reality is far more beautiful than anything that would take us away from it. And yet, as we heard, the man and the woman wanted to see what was really going on, to see the world from God's perspective by exalting themselves to his position, to be ruler of their own lives. And the result is the opposite of wholeness. It's total brokenness. Their relationship with God is broken. Their relationship with themselves is broken. Their relationship with each other is broken. They become broken people in a broken world where once they were completely at peace with God and with themselves, they're now hiding and ashamed and and worn out by fear. And these three things, fear and shame and, and guilt, are brought into the world when humanity exalts itself to the position of God. And we all experience some measure of these three things in some way. I don't know if you've ever felt like this sort of pulled in multiple directions all at once. We want love in our lives, but we end up feeling pulled between different loves and lovers. We want meaning in our lives, but we chase up, end up chasing after us this, this undefined experience that never satisfies. We, we want to live a life of purpose, and yet we so often get to the end of the day feeling like we've been spent for nothing. We've become broken people with fractured priorities and and purposes competing within us. We're trying to see the world from God's perspective by exalting ourselves to his position and claiming for ourselves a power that is rightfully his. Where once we had enjoyed complete peace with God, now we're hiding, we're ashamed, 
and we're tired. And so we're trying to, all trying to get back to a moment when our lives weren't like this. We're trying to get back to the garden where God was in our midst, where peace was in our hearts, when we were living in wholeness, where we're free from guilt or fear or shame. And for many people, music feels like a path back. When we press press play on a track, we press pause from our feeling of competing priorities and expectations placed upon us and we, we start to feel whole again. It's almost like we've caught a glimpse of the garden. And as we dance or well up or grin, we've glimpsed the garden from far away. The problem is that when the music stops, it all stops and we start to face reality again. Having broken this relationship with God by trying to take his place and rule our own lives, we don't seem to be able to get back to that state of wholeness anymore. And so, as we heard in our third reading that Samantha brought to us, God gives a law, a way for these people, these broken people, to relate to him, a way that they can start to return to a relationship with him that isn't broken, where he can dwell with them and when they can experience wholeness again. Everything you say we will do, they say to God, but I'll let you be the judge. Did they manage perfect obedience? Maybe you're going to say, I don't really know the story of the Bible. That's fine. You are welcome to to start reading the Bible. It's a beautiful thing to do. But if you're not sure about them, why don't you look at us? Why don't we look at ourselves? Are we living in a state of perfect peace and wholeness that flows from, from obedience to God? So here's where we find ourselves. Longing for wholeness and yet at the same time seemingly powerless to live this way of our own accord. Whether it be through pursuing love or meaning or purpose, none of it, none of it seems to take us back to the garden that we know we're made for. And so we settle for temporary relief from music or from sports or from relationships or from work. And yet when the music or the match, the magnetism or the motivation stop, it all stops. And we find ourselves longing for wholeness again. It's like there's something in us that is constantly testifying to the fact that we were made for more a dissatisfaction with a restless heart is a confession that you long to come home. A dissatisfaction with a restless heart is a confession that you love and that you long to come home. Home to wholeness, home to the presence of God. So how can anything change? God's tried giving a good teacher and a good law, is there a way back home? Let's find out in our next readings. In our first three readings, we looked at this idea that whether it be through music or sport or travel or relationships, we're all trying to return to the garden where God is present and where we are whole. 
However, we also saw that we are longing for this wholeness and at the same time powerless to live that way of our own accord. And so we settle for something, anything, to distract us from our brokenness and to make us feel whole again. And yet the claim of Jesus' coming at Christmas is that wholeness is possible because God is present. If you are not a Christian here tonight and perhaps you're invited along by a Christian friend, they will almost certainly have a story of a moment in their life when they realised that God was closer to them than they could ever have imagined. I certainly do. I didn't grow up as a Christian. My parents are good, moral people who certainly taught me Christian values, but I didn't grow up going to church or worshipping the Lord Jesus. All of this changed in my life when I was 16. And some friends of mine invited me along to a youth group. This group wasn't particularly flashy. Uh, it was just in an old church centre. The youth leaders were kind and authentic, but they weren't particularly exceptional or charismatic. The weekends away, we went a couple of weekends away, they were great, but they were just to a, a local youth hostel. And yet there was something amazing about that group. Because when we read the Bible and sung songs of worship to God, there was a tangible sense of his presence with us. We saw broken lives restored as well as broken bones. We saw hurt hearts healed as well as relationships transformed. It was a place where God's word brought order to chaotic lives and competing priorities and a fair share of teenage angst. But it wasn't there that I experienced God being closer than I ever imagined possible. It was a year later or so when I was taken into hospital and diagnosed with a serious illness. I'd been getting thinner and sicker for a number of months before I was told that I would need a major operation to treat a condition called Crohn's disease. And coming round from that operation was not a matter of hours, it was a matter of days. I was weaker than I'd ever been. I was sleeping for hours and hours each day. I was pumped full of pain relief and I was unable to get out of bed. And when the chaplain visited, he gave me a simple wooden cross, something to pray with. And I distinctly remember lying in that bed and clinging to this wooden cross in a sort of wordless prayer. In that place, I knew the wholeness. I knew wholeness in the presence of God. I was more physically broken than I had ever been, but I was made whole before God. I wonder if that is how the aged Simeon felt. We heard about him in our reading. He was old and he was frail, but he's full of faith. And he takes hold of this little baby Jesus and, and looks into his newborn eyes and says, God, you can now release your servant in peace. Release me in peace as you've promised. My own eyes have seen your salvation. It's out in the open for everyone to see. Simeon in that moment was taken back to the garden. He could be released in peace. 
the two things of the garden that we long for, God's presence and our wholeness, Simeon was afforded as he looked into the eyes of Christ. God was present with him, laying in his arms, and he had peace and wholeness. He was gazing upon his salvation. And that is who Jesus claims to be. I wonder how you would describe Jesus. Many people, um, even people who can't stand the church or Bible or anything else Christian, they have a lot of time for Jesus. In fact, people regularly tell me how much they admire Jesus as a good teacher and a good man. But here's the thing, a good teacher doesn't meet our need. The people of God had a good teacher in Moses that we heard about in the third reading. And they said to him, everything that God says we'll do. And yet we saw that they're unable to restore themselves to wholeness. The Christmas story is not the story of a good teacher being born, but rather God himself present in the world to bring us back to the garden again. This place that we so long for, that we're constantly trying to escape to, the garden was brought near to us in Jesus because God is present with us once again. I wonder if you feel this longing for the garden in yourself today. Perhaps you find yourself weighed down by people's expectations that you feel you can never meet. Maybe you long for a day when you wake up and you know that you are living out something of your true purpose on earth. It may be that you would love to have a meaningful relationship with God, but you're just not sure if he wants to have a meaningful relationship with you. The Christmas story is this, that God became present in the world to lead us back to the garden and to restore us to wholeness as we journey there. Wholeness is possible because God is present with us and his presence alone can lead us to freedom from guilt and freedom from fear and freedom from shame. So do you want to go back to the garden tonight? This place that is characterised by God's presence and our wholeness. If so, Jesus has made a way for you to do so. And it all starts with his presence. The spirit of Jesus can come and dwell within you here tonight, restoring you to honour where you felt ashamed, restoring you to power where you've been living under fear and restoring you to forgiveness where you've been living with guilt. And he did all of this, not just by being a good teacher, but by being God himself with us. Jesus took on the shame of being born into abject poverty amongst animals in order for you and I to be restored to a place of honour at the king's table. Jesus embraced the total vulnerability of dependence on his mother Mary so that we might be empowered with authority in the heavenly realms. Jesus shared in our human life so that he may bear our guilt in order that we could know what it's like to stand before God completely forgiven. The story of Christmas is this. A baby was born in a stable so that we 
might be reborn into a garden. A baby baby was born into physical poverty so that we might be reborn into spiritual riches. A baby was born into obscurity so that you might be able to be reborn into the family of God. And this is what Jesus offers us tonight. He offers us a way back to the garden by making his home in us. We're each invited into a Simeon moment where we look into the face of our Saviour and say, now, Lord, you can let your servant go in peace. Where the presence of God is, there is wholeness. And God is present with us. 2,000 years ago, he was laid in an animal's food trough. But here today, he's laid in the human heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Each one of us is invited to come to Christ tonight, for he has come to us.